The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. I've decided to keep a journal of our experiences. We've seen so many amazing things, I just want to have some kind of record of them. On this world, San Francisco feels like a small town. We've been here almost 18 hours and we haven't seen a single person who didn't look content. Take a look at these prices. They're amazing, aren't they? Reminds me of when I was a boy in England. Of course, the prices were in sterling then. What is this, 1950s world? I don't think so. Well, I got a feeling I'm really gonna like this place. <laughs> Anybody got a buck? Sure. There you are, my good man. No crime, no pollution or poverty, no racial strife. Maybe it's because there's a lottery here that simply gives out money whenever you want it. Excuse me, sir. Is there a limit on this lottery? Are you folks from out of state? In a manner of speaking. Well, the sky's the limit. The more you take, the more chances you have to win. Thank you. The more you take, the better your chances? Well, these eyes I like. Now, be very careful, Mr. Brown. We know nothing of this world. I suggest we take no more than we see other people taking. He's right. When in Rome. Yeah, I played Rome in 83. Rome's expensive as hell. You know, it would be good not to worry about money anymore. Rembrandt Brown, room 12 at the Motel 12. I'd like $5,000. There's no such thing as something for nothing, Mr. Brown. Well, that's what I always thought until now. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 20th, 2017. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And therein lies the fundamental premise of the left, doesn't it? Getting something for nothing. What you just heard in our opening audio bite from the 1990s Sliders television series provided a perfect analogy for demonstrating this principle, and we'll be hearing more from that ongoing Sliders parable as our show progresses today, and we continue some of the conversations we've begun over the past weeks. Don't forget, you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Visit us at www.justrightmedia.org where you can access all of Just Right social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of Just Right's past broadcasts. Now, thanks to the response we've received from our past string of shows on the left and right theme, including our own show last week with co-host Paul McKeever, I thought we'd continue that discussion, both by responding to more feedback on the topic and by gradually moving the conversation from the theoretical to the practical. You know, it's amazing what you can glean out of a simple short scenario like our sliders openers today. Some significant comments... For example, they're in this imaginary world. It's an alternate universe, of course. I don't know how familiar you are with the Sliders series. But apparently everyone is content. At least they appear so, and as we'll all hear later, appearances can be deceiving, can't they? Prices are amazing. What's this, a 1950s world? 
you know, I always ask myself, what is it about the 1950s period that so harkens to a positive and happy period in American life? And so many people remember it that way. And, you know, I do too, because that was really the last period before the ideologies of the left began to reassert themselves so shortly after having been defeated in World War II. We just didn't learn. And then, of course, in this world that they are visiting, you know, there's no crime, uh, no pollution, no racial strife. Maybe it's because there's a lottery here that simply gives out money whenever you want it. What? No crime? No pollution? No racial strife in a welfare state? Where does that ever happen? Now, there's no such thing as something for nothing, rightly explains the professor, to which Mr. Brown replies, well, that's what I always thought, until now. (laughs) Well, that begs a question, doesn't it? How has Mr. Brown's previous wisdom on the subject suddenly been abandoned in favor of helping himself to something for nothing? These are very real situations, but put into a fantasy scenario, of course. But the willingness of people to dismiss cause and consequence or any process that makes possible the things that they wish for and accept without question is simply amazing. They just dismiss it. Now, of course, something for nothing in politics is an ideal of the left. The right operates on the something for something principle. But to fully comprehend that the political left and right are complete opposites, you also have to understand that there's no middle of the road. This is one of the major points we're trying to get across. And I know that this represents a great frustration to supporters of both the, what I'll call the liberal left, and of the conservative right, quote-unquote. Those on the left find themselves forced to compromise with the idea that at least, quote-unquote, some capitalism, which is, of course, on the right, is necessary. For without it, there's little or no wealth for socialists to, quote-unquote, redistribute. Meanwhile, those on the right, the conservative right, find themselves forced to compromise with the notion that, well, at least some socialism, which is on the left, is necessary, for without it, the elderly and the sick and the poor would be unable to survive. So goes the theory of each side. But I think both camps share a common error. To the extent that each is sincere in its desire to address its concerns as stated, which, by the way, is another matter entirely, the road to both ends, being prosperity and security, has been clearly been demonstrated to be right. It's always on the right. It's, it's in the environment of freedom and capitalism. And the inability to apprehend this is compounded by the notion that, you know, there's this middle of the road or the center between left and right, and that that's the place you've got to be on the political spectrum. But here's the joke. There is no such position. There is nothing between left and right. It does not exist. You understand? All that exists in terms of any identifiable ideas and moral codes are the two polar opposites. Anything in between is just a combination of those two opposites, left and right. Beyond that, there is merely movement, a drift, never a position. There's no firm position between left and right in the, in the proper context of how they're described. History has demonstrated time and time again, that any attempted coexistence between left and right, which of course we often refer to as the mixed economy, is temporary and has regrettably ended in a drift towards the ideologies of the left. 
the eventual dissipation of national identities, state bankruptcies, and the poverty and suffering that result become another chapter in a history that refuses to be learned. You know, it's kind of like flies and insects drawn to the light that will kill them. So, too, millions are repeatedly drawn to the illusion of light at the left end of the political spectrum, and the horror of what actually lies in wait for them is often incomprehensible or beyond the capacity for them to believe or accept. (laughs) It can often take a few generations for the process to become clearly visible to everyone, and it's always the generation near the end of that process that has to pay the greatest price. Ask anyone who lived through World War II. And these are two, these are the realities among many reasons why too few people fear the left. You have to fear the left. Sometimes fear is a good thing, remember. Too few understand the destructive when followed actions and the contradictory when understood principles that define the left. So to help illustrate these radical differences between left and right, last week, of course, I and co-host Paul McKeever staged a mock debate based on real philosophies and ideas as originated by those who supported them and developed them, with Paul on the left and yours truly on the right. Now, I realize that many find it difficult to believe or accept what the left actually represents, and that's perfectly understandable. Because, you know, while, while the assumed morality of the right side of the spectrum has been openly discussed, criticized, and condemned almost daily in the media and elsewhere, the true morality of the left side is practically unknown. And, you know, it's because it's just right that, that the left is repulsed by the philosophy of freedom and capitalism. And that's what we referred to in our last episode. We called it repulsion. These two things are opposites. Well, here were some of the responses we got to last week's show, some very interesting ones. Murray T. writes, and I quote, Ear candy man, what a great show today. Paul really has me questioning a few things. Might turn me to the left. (laughs) The cover photo is hilarious too, by the way. Almost fooled me, he writes. I suppose that speaks to how well Paul really does understand the left, because what he was saying was from the work that he has been studying. In fact, I happen to know he's writing a book on the subject, so he understands the subject deeply. Derek S. writes, How did this philosophical debate go? I find most people are amoral when it comes down to it, fighting for their own definition of what's right. That's the hubris of man, thinking at any point people can have a common calling. Well, Derek... How did the debate go? Well, I won. (laughs) And if you want to hear for yourself whether or not that's really so, just tune in to the last half of last week's show and then you'll know for yourself. But I think that what you will find is not an amoral debate, which would usually be focused on economics or science or something like that, right? But two opposing very moral positions, not two opposing amoral positions. But you're right about the battle over definitions. But the definition that is right is the one that corresponds to the test of reality and reason. The challenge is to determine with objective certainty that what we consider to be right is actually so. And of course, testing the validity of mankind's knowledge is precisely what epistemology is all about. You know, the, the studying concepts, definitions, and logic, and how they all work together. Now, no rational person, I think, would expect others to share a common calling. But agreeing on common definitions, I think, is a necessity. 
both for thought and for communication between those people and, and for themselves. Now here's one that we got by email written by Frank G who uh, titled it The Routes to the Left and Right Destination. And he had a foreword here that goes, this is an effort to account compactly for the way in which the political economic terms left, socialism, and right, democratic capitalism, which are often used and misused much too loosely, arrive at their destinations. And then he has the left. The basic principle of socialism enunciated in the 1840s by Karl Marx and others is, from each according to his ability, to each according to his need. This requires that someone is to separate my needs from my wants and determine how much of each I am to receive. No agreement on this is possible, therefore, by natural socio-political evolution, this someone turns out to be an autocrat or a dictator. Example, Joseph Stalin. Of course. <clears throat> then he has the right. An intelligent, competent, motivated person in a free society will see that he or she can expand his or her value-added work by employing other intelligent, competent, motivated persons, plus personal or recruited capital, and may do so. She or he is thus, by evolution and by definition, a capitalist, a user of human and financial capital. And democracy... Intelligent people on either the left or right will decide mutually that they will be politically governed and economically empowered in a system organized around elected law-making bodies. Example, a parliament constrained by the rule of law, private property rights, and suitable checks and balances. This does not imply success. See left above. <laughs> Democracy can be messy and frustrating, but it is, quote, the worst form of government until one considers the alternatives, end quote. Of course, Winston Churchill, 1947. Well, Frank, I get your point, and I agree mostly, but remember, democracies do consider the alternatives, and then they vote for them. <laughs> Democracy, I'm coming to realize, is less a form of government than it is a condition under which governments may or may not choose to operate. You know, democracy is very much like freedom and capitalism in this regard. They're conditions. For example, what's a new democrat? What is this new democracy? How is it different from the old democracy? You know, a few ways I can think of would include the abandonment of the rule of law, violation of private property rights, replacement of individual rights with group rights based on anything from gender to skin color to economic status. You know, democracy, as we are all aware, does not merely denote a political jurisdiction in which voting takes place during elections. Very few forms of non-democratic governments do not have voting that takes place. Most of them have votes. So if voters have only one choice of government to vote for, but plenty of parties, is it still a democracy? <laughs> you know, it's a good question to consider. And what if people vote for something for nothing, if that's the society they go for? You know, the complexities of what keeps the god of the machine moving are not necessary to comprehend. But it is necessary to comprehend that the complexities themselves are the necessity behind everything that we take for granted. And some people have to understand them. Who is providing the something to all of those who do nothing for their something? Now, for those on the right... I know that it's very easy to get frustrated and perhaps a bit angry about the left and the political direction in which it is leading us. But do not fear, for all there is to fear is the left itself. All right, men, 
We're on water. I don't want any of you walking too far to the left or to the right. Remember the training films we saw about how people sink. Now go. Watch out. You don't know where they'll come from. They'll either come from the left or the right or the right. <laughs> doing guys is this thing really gonna work well my double has an intriguing take on the sliding process he's actually figured out the spectrum readings of the toy rodeo cohomology class mm. the problem is that what he calls the z2 dilaton embedment is a constant come on fellas how about english think of a giant roulette wheel the problem is pinpointing which slot corresponds to the coordinates of our home earth but there's a chance Yes, there is simultaneously an absolutely probable chance and a high improbability simultaneously. You know, if I was tuning into a show that was intended to teach me something about the sliding process, I'd have to understand something about that, what did he say, the Z2 dilaton embedment being a constant? <laughs> now, if I was just a passenger on the slide... Understanding the roulette wheel would certainly be sufficient, but if I was running the slide, I'd have to know a little more than that. So this speaks to the importance of accuracy in language and complexity in language. Now, we did get a few listeners who complained about the complexity in language, seeing it as a disadvantage to, <laughs> to, the, to even what we're trying to say. And one of them came from Liz B., who wrote, there was a part in the show, referring to last week's show with Paul McKeever, where you were reading a comment from someone who said you talked over their head. And that is why you won't appeal to a larger audience. I think both of you missed the point, meaning myself and the feedback person, of what the comment meant, or what I believed it to mean. I'm saying this because I've heard it for years from people I try to introduce to Freedom Party. I think the point is that the vocabulary you use isn't understood by a majority of people. Once they hear words that they do not understand, they stop listening. It's like listening to a foreign language. Eyes will glaze over, and you can see people just don't get it. You speak with so many words that aren't a part of common everyday language that you come across as being intellectually superior and arrogant. Ouch! They may be the correct words to use, but they don't have meaning to people who do not understand them and will not take the time to look up each word as you use it, which, if they're focusing on the words, then they aren't focusing on the bigger message. If it's important to use these words, then you need to keep defining them as you go or use simpler words which describe the concept. If it can be understood by a child, then I think you're on the right track. Well, now Liz's comments were directed at my comments made to the feedback of James D. regarding our previous week's show on the primacy of consciousness versus the primacy of existence. There's those complex terms. But what I shared on the air in my response to James was only part of my complete response to him, which is still posted on Facebook on the post relating to Just Right 512. But what I shared on the show last week ended simply with the statement that we use the terms we do because they are the correct terms and are the language of philosophy, the field to which they apply and the field that we are discussing. But here's what I didn't share. 
on the air last week. And I'm going to do that now since it already partially addresses some of the concerns raised by Liz. But I think the bigger question that Liz has and is getting at, I'm going to address later so as not to confuse two separate issues and contexts. It's very important. And she's not the only one asking this kind of a question. I get it all the time. And maybe it's because I wear several hats, as they say, in my roles both on this show and I know Liz knows that, ha- that I happen to be the president and CFO of the Freedom Party of Ontario. And of, and of course, our co-host last week is the leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario, which we did not bring up on the broadcast, by the way. So maybe that's part of the confusion that people think I'm doing the same thing each time I'm wearing a different hat, but I'm not. Now, after making it clear to James that we use the language of philosophy because it is the correct language to use in the context of our discussion, I did continue. And and, and don't forget, we both printed and verbalized a clear definition of each concept on both the broadcast and the blog post. So all these complex definitions that you say we should define, we did all along the way. And people were still saying they didn't understand them, and I didn't believe them. And this is what concerns me, and you better be aware of it yourself. Complexity is not the issue. No matter how simple the word or term chosen, the concept remains as complex as what it is and must still be accurately explained using the proper associations that correspond to reality and to that concept. You know, the word capitalism, holy cow, that should be easy to understand, and yet it's one of those complex concepts about which we're always addressing misconceptions. Now, just right, this show, we're, we're about epistemology, the study of knowledge itself. And even that word was one that many of us here never even heard about until it became inescapable that it was a word and a specific discipline of philosophy that we needed to know if we were going to have a positive effect on the intellectual, moral, and, and political landscape around us. So our effort here is to help people understand why the political and social trends around them are happening. And we're fully aware, look, I get this, that a discussion of, you know, the identity crisis, it's an entirely unfamiliar and highly complex topic to the vast majority. I get that. That's the very problem our talking about it is attempting to address. It shouldn't be so unfamiliar. At least to those who want to understand what is actually driving the political motivations out there. Now, this is a separate thing from political activity, which is the thing you brought up with Freedom Party, and that's what we're going to get to later. But making these complexities simple is exactly what we do on the show itself. And this is still me talking to James uh, regarding his, his comments that were very similar to Liz's. That's why on the show we demonstrated the complex principles discussed by using audio bites. And on that particular show, we used audio bites from the Big Bang Theory, the Rocky and Bullwinkle cartoon show, Hogan's Heroes, the movie Sheena, and even college kids being interviewed by a man claiming to be a Chinese woman. Now, come on, how simple can you get? I mean, that's dirt simple. And those clips all represented the principle and illustrated it in a way that is understandable. And the suggestion that speaking over people's heads is a cause of anger is true to a degree, but it implies the anger is caused by by either an inability or unwillingness to understand. Or, you know, or worse, like an unadmitted open disagreement. It's, it's certainly nothing to be appeased, but addressed honestly. 
Now, in my experience, most anger is caused by an unstated disagreement, which, when challenged, can usually be brought to the surface by asking the right questions. And I get it that people don't understand cer certain things and tune out, but that's certainly true in science, in technology, in art, in, in, in any field. We have to elevate this conversation, not lower it. We found nothing in our original Facebook post difficult to understand. Unfamiliar, perhaps, but not difficult. And, of course, we provided very clear definitions of the terms. And here is what I really think I'm experiencing when I get people angry. It's the clarity, not the complexity of a given moral or political stand that is what angers people. They get it. Don't believe for a minute they don't. They're angry because they disagree and cannot express that disagreement in the terms necessary to make their case. For others, it might be, in fact, the very first time they've considered the issue, one that ha might have presented them with an inconvenient truth. And as to complex philosophical discussions, hey, it's different strokes for different folks, right? We often get complaints when we don't talk about subjects like this, more philosophical subjects. I think the public's starving for the kind of knowledge that we impart on just right, so we'll just keep doing what we know is just right, as we note that all of our decades of past archive shows continue to be increasingly downloaded today as a demonstration of just how right we've always been since the very beginning. And whether we do a show on science, tech, uh, culture, arts and entertainment, yeah, we make it entertaining and sometimes even silly but we never talk down to our listeners. You know, my unspoken rule for the show has always been, don't dumb it down before smartening it up. And so where do you go to get more than the simple facts and popular bromides, which mean entirely different things to different people? We're all in this political tower of Babel together, you know, and, and we're just babbling meaningless but emotionally charged words at each other, defining oppositions but no solutions because the very concepts of those solutions have been excluded from the discussion. Because a much simpler way of describing that kind of thinking, the primacy of consciousness that the left has, uh, to a person like me, I could use a really simple word like crazy, nutty, lunatic, but I don't think that's going to further the conversation, is it? <laughs> nor does it define the nature of the cause, because it's not even true, even though I feel that way. But because I understand this one thing, this primacy of consciousness, I don't take it personally, but I do occasionally take some time to point it out to others who are wrestling with the same problem when they get into any political discussions with their friends and acquaintances on the left. You don't have to talk about the primacy of consciousness and all that stuff to them. You just have to know about it for yourself. You know, even understanding that certain opinions originate from the left is critical, though not necessary to raise or point out during the heat of a debate, at least until you get to the point where <clears throat> you agree to disagree. And I'll have more to say about that idea, agreeing to disagree, later in the show today, because there were even some disagreements about agreeing to disagree. So expect me to be very disagreeable for the balance of the show today. Ah, uh, say what you will. This languid pace certainly allows one to enjoy life's simple pleasures. Listen to this. According to this magazine, there's only 500 million people on this world. Less than half a billion people in the entire world. 
Why, that's 10% of the population of our Earth. Yeah, and the population of San Francisco is less than 100,000. A smaller population is probably one of the antidotes to the ills of civilization. Fewer people, less pressure on resources, less stress. Maybe it's time we faced facts. This is a great place. We should at least think about staying here. After one day, we can't throw everything away we've been working for on the basis of pretty scenery. It's not just that. Forget it. Let's just go, okay? Despite protests from right-to-life extremists, President Jocelyn Elders attended the dedication of the newly reopened Thomas Malthus Center for Sexual Ethics and Education today. Congressional response was swift Who's Thomas Malthus? The Reverend Thomas Malthus was an English economist of the 19th century. He said that mankind would be forever condemned to live in misery because the population would always increase at a faster rate than the food supply. Evidently, in this world, they took it to heart. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome to tonight's drawing brought to you by the Lottery Commission. Ooh, the lottery. Well, tonight, 12 lucky entrants will share prize money valued at more than $5 million each and receive unlimited white card privileges, the card that only lottery winners can get and the card that gives you everything, everything your heart desires. Wish me luck, Henry. Let's get over there and get our first selection going. And here it comes, our first selection. Julianne Murphy, 3107 Grandview Lane. Wow, beautiful as she is, and $5 million too. <laughs> There's still 11 lucky lottery winners left. Wade Wells, room 12 at the Motel 12. I won. Congratulations, Miss Wells. Your every wish just come true. I won. <laughs> I won the lottery. <laughs> oh, how good does this world look now? <laughs> in a limo this size since the tops broke up. <laughs> Miss Wells will be riding in limos for the rest of her life. What if I wanted to give my money to the poor? <laughs> Unfortunately, the last poor person won the lottery herself about six months ago. It's society's way of saying thanks. Damn, girl. Some people have all the luck. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for what? Thanks for playing the lottery. What else? <laughs> 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 Quinn! What's eating you? This whole thing doesn't add up, Wade. You can't just walk up to a machine, collect thousands of dollars, and then if you're really lucky, you hit the big jackpot. Will you chill out? We've landed in Utopia. I'm a multi-millionaire. 
You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Thank you to our financial supporters who make it possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample some of our timeless past broadcasts all archived, not only for your listening enjoyment and convenience, but also as a record of our dedication, consistency, and principled approach to the discussion of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. Now, there were so many non-sequiturs, inaccuracies, and contradictions in that Sliders fantasy episode clip that we just heard that it perfectly describes the flaws in how the left makes its judgments and choices. So many of the opinions expressed there are common to the population around us. This whole idea of paradise found. Paradise found is really just a paradise sound, reflecting what people like to hear and believe when someone promises them something for nothing. And the professor saying a smaller population is probably one of the antidotes to the ills of civilization. Fewer people, less pressure on resources, less stress. (laughs) Wow. Totally believed by many and totally without foundation or evidence. In fact, the fewer people, the fewer the resources available to each individual person, not just to an aggregate of the whole. And pressure on resources is a meaningless term. Resources don't suffer pressure. The pressure is on the people required to turn those resources into something that people can use. Resources just don't hop out of the ground and and make themselves useful. You know, the the fewer the people, the more agricultural will have to be the setting. And the more self-sufficient and utterly independent such a society would be, it wouldn't even almost be a society. There would be no technology. It's time we face the facts. This is a great place, (laughs) says Wade. Uh, No, that's not a fact. That's an opinion. It's like my opinion about what I think about the left. The fact that someone likes something does not make it an objective fact offering any evidence of the reality about which somebody likes, right? Some people like to harm others. That's a fact, too. But how do those facts affect your choices? And then, of course, they brought up the issue of Thomas Malthus. This idea that the population would always increase at a faster rate than the food supply has not borne itself out. It's like the climate change predictions. It doesn't work that way. It only works that way, regardless of food supply, (laughs) in socialist and communist countries, in, in the more controlled countries. That's where you see the explosions of populations. And then, of course, the last poor person won the lottery herself six months ago. So there's no, there are no poor people left on this world. And so thanks for playing the lottery. You know, think about it. If there is no poverty, then what is there? Seriously. Since poverty is an undefined condition at best, it either refers to poverty at the level where someone literally has no food and shelter and no means of acquiring such, Or having met all those conditions, it just means a given amount of wealth relative to others. And that's how it's being used today, mostly in the West, not in the Eastern countries and in the truly poor nations, which, as Ayn Rand used to say, if you want to know what the have-not countries have not, it's called freedom and capitalism. And that's why they're poor. Consider the lottery on sliders. 
as the metaphor for our own social welfare systems that in most countries have more from welfare to a welfare state, which involves a lot more than offering mere social benefits to those most in need through mo no fault of their own. That's an issue completely separate from what we're seeing today. Social benefits no longer exist to serve the needy, who are now, interestingly, increasingly finding themselves e even needier and, and in more numbers, despite all the government efforts to fight poverty. Read your daily papers. Does it make sense? I mean, social benefits now serve a political purpose, and that purpose is a state-controlled economy from production to consumption. That is the goal of the left, and that's what we're seeing today. And what we accept is not limits on our population, but limits on our production, and hence the poverty. But now this brings me to the second part of Liz's concerns as raised in the previous segment where she said, I'm saying this because I've heard it for years from people I try to introduce to Freedom Party. Once they hear words that they do not understand, they stop listening. It's like listening to a foreign language. Okay, first, and I direct this to anyone who may have any doubts about this, don't confuse what we do on Just Right with any kind of political activity per se. I would never in my wildest dream approach someone to suggest the reason that they should support freedom is because our party operates on the primacy of existence. Are you kidding me? You ever heard me say anything like that? But here's the funny part about what Liz has said. Quote, not listening and hearing a foreign language, end quote, is exactly what most voters hear when it comes to anything said by any political party. No matter how simple the words that party uses or how complex the words that party uses. Most people simply don't understand politics, period. They don't understand the workings of government, period. They don't know who their leaders are. You have to accept this. That's what you're dealing with. But they'll still vote for a party about which they know little to nothing, or even less than nothing, because they've got it all backwards, because they're following the wrong compass. They're listening to the wrong definitions. So those things don't matter in, in, in the explanation point of things. You know, other political parties have their radio programming and podcasts that feature big words and big concepts behind their party philosophies. Unfortunately, their big words and concepts never relate to their true intentions or to their political ideology, but to concepts that they are busily changing. Things like, you know, terms like affirmative consent and all these weird words, you know, child-centered learning instead of saying that we don't teach anymore. They just invent new terms to confuse you. And conservatives, for example, have been talking about getting rid of the limbs in our healthcare system. I still don't know what the hell that stands for or how it matters, other than knowing it's about something, got something to do with rationing healthcare, which conservatives merely want to do efficiently. I don't care about the limbs. No, nobody knows what that is. The handful of people who are forced to use a limbs, whatever it is. So here's the point. The reason people are reacting to you in a way that suggests they do not understand what Freedom Party about is not because of any big words we've used in any of our campaigns, because we never use them. We never talk philosophy during a Freedom Party campaign to the public, unless maybe it happens to relevantly and briefly come, come up on a talk show with some talk show host. Look, it's not necessary to be a believer or even anybody who understands freedom or capitalism to be a Freedom Party supporter any more than it's important to understand what the other party's 
stand for if you want to vote for them. That's how it's been working. Any reason will do if the match works. But it's precisely because people think in terms of polarity, left and right, that they ignore Freedom Party. Because right now, the progressive conservatives in Ontario, completely on the left, occupies the place of the right in their minds. We can't make this problem go away by ignoring it or shuffling it, you know, under the left and right don't matter anymore carpet. It doesn't work that way. So how do you sell a party that you support? Okay, Freedom Party of Ontario. I know a little bit about that party. Both in the past and in the present, we've always used very simple and easy to understand concepts. Remember one of our pieces of literature, Freedom Party, for a better Ontario. That was it. Lower taxes, a better life. Wine and beer in grocery stores. And no-fault insurance on automobiles. No Ontario income tax. Embrace climate change. Don't fight it. Uh, these are not difficult concepts, and you don't have to go any further than that. In fact, I would suggest to you that a lot of these are going too far. You know, Freedom Party is a political party that welcomes, not excludes, true liberals, true conservatives, and true Democrats alike. It's one of the reasons we use the red, blue, and orange signs as part of our campaign now. Of course, we mean small letter L, liberal, small letter C, conservative, small letter D, Democrats. Uh, the other ones with the, with the capital letters, they're all one thing. and They're all on the left, and it's a big socialist. Freedom Party, for example, supports both social freedom and economic freedom. The only, all the other parties only offer one or the other. There's a difference. Very simple. Remember what we used to say? Freedom of choice is what we're all about. Even that was too difficult for too many people to understand. Oh, you're the pro-abortion party. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you know, even the simplest of these slogans, descriptions, and policies will not be a convincing argument for anything. So here's what you tell people. Anytime somebody brings up politics and you don't know if the conversation is going anywhere, just tell them this. Don't blame me. I vote Freedom Party. Bingo, you're done. If they have any beefs with their MPP or provincial government, that's all they need to know about your role in Ontario's Ponzi schemes. Never tell people why they should be voting for Freedom Party. If you tell them anything at all, assuming they're willing to listen, tell them why you support FP. And if all they can tell you is that you won't get elected, well, remind them that that's true of all the losing candidates and parties in every riding, for every party, everywhere. Election losers outnumber the winners anywhere from 3 to 1 to 10 to 1, simply depending on the number of candidates fielded. I mean, after all, if, you, if, you, if all you're looking for is to vote for a winner, I've got some bad news for you. You've got to vote for Kathleen Wynne and the Ontario Liberals, you know, if that's where you want to put your vote. Then you'll get a winner, because she's winning. You know, as soon as you start explaining, rather than stating a position where it's appropriate, you've already lost the interest of someone who might be considering another political option. Don't get bogged down in facts. Facts don't matter to the other side. New political parties and movements rise to power when a political vacuum has been created, not before. never happens any other way. Preparing for that moment is what political parties do. In the electoral process, voters by and large vote against and not for. There are exceptions. Now, because of Freedom Party's unavoidable public association with the right, and with their same association of 
progressive conservatives as being on the right, that vacuum will occur when a tipping point has been reached where enough people begin to see the light that the PCs are a party on the left in every way that counts. Now, the two parts of Liz's concerns come together, making it easier to explain what Freedom Party is about to others and simplifying the terms for doing so. Don't forget, it's the simplicity and the clear digital choice of left and right. That's our goal here. We're trying to get down to these simple concepts, but I can't even use left and right if people don't understand them and they mean different things. Sorry, Liz. You know, we like to keep it simple. But as long as simple words mean different things to different people, only the complexity of described concepts can avoid that epistemological disaster. It's almost like you, have to do, you do have to define until people get it. Now, how does that disaster translate into politics? Well, by people voting for a party on the left when they thought they were voting for a party on the right, or voting for a party that they thought would give them something for nothing without their having to pay a very severe price in the end. You realize what a wonderful world this is? Hmm? I mean, don't you wake up in the morning and feel grateful that you weren't born on some other godforsaken piece of rock? Frankly, I don't think about it. Hmm. Well, you should. Trust me, I'm a physicist, I know. There are far worse places than this. The truth is, I'm a hypocrite. Every day I work with lottery winners. Good, decent men and women, making honorable sacrifices for society. I don't see how that makes you a hypocrite. I'm afraid of death. I'm sorry, I don't follow your reasoning. I'm glad you came. There's something wrong here. Professor, you've got to get her out of here. Listen to me, this lottery, Population control. What? That's what winning means. Tomorrow morning, they're gonna kill Wade. This can't be true. My God, it says the lottery has killed 50,000 people nationwide. They don't call it death. Everybody's in a rush to the afterlife. They call it making way. Look, maybe these right to life are some kind of crackpots. These right to lifers are Nobel Prize winning philosophers and scientists. Believe it. Still think this is paradise? This is no time for acrimony. It's barbaric. On the contrary, my boy. In some ways, it's more humane than our society. Professor, they kill people to limit the population. And in our world, millions of people die every year through war, famine, disease, caused in part by the fact that we refuse to accept limits on our population. Here, they kill volunteers, painlessly, and generously reward their beneficiaries. Now, you may abhor their methods, as indeed do I. But as a man of science, you cannot dismiss the result. There were a lot of comments expressed in that audio bite we just heard from the Sliders a, a television series again. 
that really demand being addressed. This idea of honorable sacrifices for society, especially in the, in the context given, sorry, that's a completely dishonorable sacrifice of one's life for a collectivist entity that is merely defined by other individuals who benefit from the sacrifice. That's what's going on. You know, when they find out that this lottery kills 50,000 people, what's the first thing that they get struck with? Disbelief. You know, disillusionment that Santa Claus is not real. They don't call it death. It's the afterlife. They call it making way. <laughs> well, of course they call it making way. Calling it what it is would define the reality of the situation. Killing volunteers painlessly and paying them, you know, uh, the professor thought this might be more humane and less barbaric than having wars. <laughs> yeah, except that it's being done fraudulently based on a promise of reward in an afterlife made by people who don't even themselves believe in such a thing. Is that really humane? Is that honest? War and famine caused in part by the fact that we refuse to accept limits on our population. Well, of course, war and famine are not caused by growths in population any more than they are prevented by declines in population. The causes of war and famine are all political and all originate on the left, where the philosophy is, when persuasion fails, just use force. As a man of science, the professor could not dismiss the result. You may abhor their methods, as do I, he says. But the professor has dismissed the result. Murder as the means of population control. That's the result, and it's the means. There's nothing scientific about saying that you've solved a disease by killing the patient. Yet that's exactly what's being argued here. All leftist short circuits in thinking, you know. More humane? At least in a war you can fight back and perhaps even defeat your enemy. No such option under totalitarianism until the inevitable war results because all totalitarian societies end up in something like that. So here you have it, you know, mystics, scientists, and economists. When they mess around in politics, you can be guaranteed a totalitarian future because for them, the ends always justify the means, and that's what those disciplines are about. They're pragmatic, right? They're not about philosophy and, and making moral choices. Now, you know, as much as those of us on the right might like to believe this, Left-wing thinking is not a mental disease in the clinical sense, or even in any, in any other sense. It's, it's something entirely different. It's corrupt and flawed mental programming. No different, I think, than flawed and corrupt programming involved in computer science and programming, etc. You know, garbage in, garbage out. Very much like computer climate models, <laughs> which we'll be discussing on a future show. But you've heard the statement, right? It ain't so much what people don't know that gets them into trouble, it's what they do know that just ain't so. And that's the oh-true assessment of, of why politi the political world is always in crisis and regressing, while the world outside of politics is moving in the opposite direction. It is corrupt and flawed mental programming about how to discover reality and the consequences of certain actions within the ruling principles of that reality. And until that itself is addressed, no convincing or differing views are possible. 
Facts don't matter. This is not merely an insult or a right-wing slogan being thrown at the left. It is literally a fact that facts don't matter. You know, when a computer is programmed in a certain way, data that does not coincide with that programming is simply rejected or ignored. It doesn't matter. That does not compute, was a well-known reaction of the robot on the Lost in Space series that I grew up with as a kid. And finally, there's this comment by Paul L. as posted on our Just Right blog site. And he wrote in response to something I said in, to Paul McKeever on last week's show as we went into, into one of the breaks that, and, and this is Paul writing, quote, Paul, Paul L., Agreeing to disagree simply means that both sides understand that they are not going to find common ground, and thus both can agree to the fact that they will not reach an agreement on the point having been argued. I think that's pretty straightforward. In fact, there's been a lot more peace in my life once I resigned myself to the fact that not everyone's going to understand the reality that I perceive and understand." End quote. Well, Paul, I disagree. <laughs> nor do I agree with disagreeing with you. You know, Robert Vaughn also raised this point with me, suggesting in addition to your own observations, that to say one agrees to disagree is also not a contradiction nor grammatically incorrect. Well, I disagreed with him too, but not for the reasons either of you expressed. Although I do accept the generic sentiment expressed by that popular bromide, you know, and that's certainly in areas of tastes, you know, in aesthetics, in music, in art, fashions, architecture, movie, anything like that, any day-to-day -day activity about which people have wide differences, of course this sentiment can apply. Though the fact of disagreement does not disappear. Don't forget about that. But consider the context of our discussion last week. It was part of the mock debate between co-host Paul McKeever playing the left role of Paul Marx, as I called him, and myself on the right playing the role of Bob Estottle. Okay. If the goal is to discover the truth about how something works or functions, then not finding common ground is not even a consideration with respect to that goal. Not finding common ground usually refers to differences of tastes and personal interests, not to a sincere effort to discover a truth. You work on that. You know, I'm also a little uncomfortable with the phrase, the reality that I perceive, quote-unquote, as if to imply there are alternate realities, <laughs> which ironically is what the TV show Sliders is actually all about. They're in an alternate reality. But perception implies the evidence of one's senses, and what is perceived always exists outside the realm of the perceiver, doesn't it? Irrespective of the perceiver's thoughts or understandings. But here's another thought I had about what Paul L. has said. The peace that Paul has found in his life I don't think is the consequence of having accepted that he and others may not agree on certain issues. That's not what the cause of the peace is. I think the peace came because, Paul, you gave up attempting the impossible, searching for an agreement between two polar opposite ways of thinking. It ain't going to happen. As long as you keep doing that, you'll, get, you'll have a lot of tension in your life. And it's not the grammar of the statement to which I was objecting either, this whole agreeing to disagree idea. It's the implication that those who use this statement, well, we'll have to dis, you know, agree to disagree, as Paul McKeever did last week, 
use it to avoid having to justify their position. When one side in a debate has done so, while the other has not, okay, understand that, agreeing to disagree is a lack of respect, or an admission of defeat without acknowledging it. It's the signal that the debate is over, even though the person agreed to participate in the debate. That's what I was objecting to. Also, one does not agree to disagree with someone who is committed to killing you, or enslaving you, or depriving you of your life, liberty, and property. Hey, yeah, you can stop the argument, but not the disagreement. Yeah, we agree to stop arguing is what you're really saying when someone suggests that we can agree to disagree. No, you aren't agreeing to disagree. You disagree. Two different thoughts entirely, as I see it. But feel free to disagree, and I won't stop you. You know, Of course, having the right to disagree has always been supported by us on Just Right. It's a fundamental freedom that would be ended, by the way, by many of those we choose to agree to disagree with on a social level. Think about it. If the disagreement is political, it will not end until one side has overcome the other. That's a fact. Left and right cannot coexist, coming right around full circle to our original message. The political environment is thus destined to drift leftward in the absence of a debate. That has been the strategy of the left since the very beginning. And they often get out of it just by saying, well, we'll disagree, you know, we'll agree to disagree. Quite often, history has demonstrated that those who have agreed to disagree on an international scale only find out too late that one side in the disagreement has been plotting very quietly behind the veil of this agreement, to end the disagreement politically, by the way. You know, when persuasion fails, just use force. And that, too, is the mantra of the left. Persuasion is a tool of the right. Force is the tool of the left. So don't go around agreeing to disagree with those who are out to kill you. Keep disagreeing, but not with them. Express what you know is right to those who are willing to listen and be happy with that. If you're asked for an opinion, express it honestly and leave it at that. So in the end, am I agreeing to disagree or am I just being disagreeable? <laughs> well, supporting the right to disagree is not the same thing as supporting the ideas with which one disagrees. And on that freedom of speech note, just writes exclusive YouTube production of Dr. Jordan Peterson's appearance at Western University this past May is now available. It's a Just Right exclusive, and like all Dr. Peterson talks, will get you thinking about the really serious abstract things that seem so distant from our simple, daily concrete lives, and yet they aren't. Sort of like every episode of Just Right, isn't it? on which we'll continue our journey in the right direction next week, so be sure to join us. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Loosen connections between modulator, magnetron, and the incubator. I guess London means oscillator. Newkirk, get the wax out of your ears. This isn't a crystal set I'm trying to spook. How can I repeat the bloody words if I can't pronounce them? <laughs> All right, London, ready at this end. You can start your nettering again. <laughs> oh, I say, that's frightfully good. <laughs> now, you tell your man to readjust the calibration of the rangefinder. <laughs> 
Smashing what? Oh, he's going to adore it, sir. Hello, Kinch. Here's one that's simply loaded with charm. Lay it on me. I only hope I live long enough to see how it comes out. 